At 5.30 in the morning of the 7th of May, an employee of a company called Colonial Pipeline found a ransom note from hackers on a work computer. By the end of the day, the pipeline that provides almost half of the fuel to the east coast of the United States was shut down. On this week's Radio Davos, ransomware. What is it, how big is the risk, and what can be done? This year, there has been more than $350 million in losses attributable to ransomware, a more than 300% increase over the past year. U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas talks exclusively to Radio Davos. The cybersecurity challenge knows no boundaries, so the perpetrator and the victim could be anywhere in the world and in quite distant locations from one another. And experts from the World Economic Forum's Center for Cybersecurity explain how ransomware gangs are targeting vital public services, not only fuel pipelines, but also hospitals making the decision on whether to pay up, sometimes a very cruel choice indeed. When it comes to taking the decision, when actually your operations are being halted and you have surgeries ongoing, that decision suddenly becomes life and death situation. On Radio Davos, we look at the world's biggest challenges and how we might solve them. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a rating and a review and join the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. I'm Robin Pomeroy with a look at ransomware ransomware criminal groups have their organizational structure. In many cases, it's from nine to five. Over Christmas, they actually take breaks. It's becoming an actual organizational entity. This is Radio Davos. This is as close as you can get to the jugular of infrastructure in the United States. That was Amy Myers-Jaffa, a research professor at Tufts University, talking to Reuters about the ransomware attack. She said, it's not a major pipeline, it's the pipeline. So when a thief is holding you by the jugular, demanding your money or your life, what do you do? According to Bloomberg, the head of Colonial Pipeline paid $4.4 million to the hackers because executives were unsure how badly the cyber attack had breached its systems or how long it would take to bring the pipeline back. As motorists took to panic buying gasoline, the world became starkly aware of the threat that ransom attacks posed to vital public services. Another attack on the health services of Ireland compounded the impression that these attacks, as well as being costly, could actually put lives at risk. Later in the show, we'll be hearing from US Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. But first, I spoke to two experts from the World Economic Forum's Center for Cybersecurity, Tal Goldstein and Algirda Pipikaite. I started by asking Algirda, what is ransomware? Ransomware is a form of malware, like a virus, that encrypts a victim's files. So you access organizations' information technology networks, their IT networks, and you basically encrypt their data. And the idea there is that then the attacker has a right to demand a ransom from the victim um, claiming that if the payment is made to the certain crypto wallet, then they will restore access to the data that is being kept um, at ransom right now. Um, and there are a number of vectors how ransomware actually can take access on a network or a computer. But the most common one that we see um, happening is actually de- delivering a phishing spam email via attachment that then is clicked by an employee, a staff member, um, even an executive. And that's how ransomware malware actually gets activated. When did it start? This one goes to Utah. Yes. So actually the first known ransomware incident was uh, more than 30 years ago in 1989 using floppy disks that were sent to a participant of a conference, health conference. 
um, locking their computer and, and asking money. In a way, they ask for license money for the program that they send. Uh, now, of course, because it was sent by, by post, uh, by mail, it was quite easy to follow back to the source uh, and capture the person behind that. The encryption was not too challenging. Uh, so the damage from that attack was quite limited. But what happened is that it took another 20 years. And, and the reason that we have such a huge uh, amount and, and the rise of this threat is because, first of all, the cyber attacks became much more sophisticated uh, with many ways uh, um, to reach to victims. And the second that uh, uh, cryptocurrency created an opportunity for much more anonymity when paying uh, and for the victims to receive the money. Tell me about that then, the cryptocurrency thing. For those of us who know very little about it, a Bitcoin and these other ones, we're always told transactions are recorded by countless computers around the world so everyone can see what's going on. So what, shouldn't that make cryptocurrencies easier to trace than cash or a bank transfer? How come cryptocurrencies make it easier for the villains in this case? The biggest problem is that while you might see transaction, you don't, you don't have the connection to the person at the end. So while when you open a bank account with traditional uh, currency, you are always identified as a person. In cryptocurrency, you don't have this. So criminals can hide themselves behind fake accounts. Um, and, and they have a whole system, ecosystem of how to transfer the cryptocurrency into other type of currencies. Bitcoins or any cryptocurrencies are actually much more traceable than cash. Cash is still the cleanest and untraceable trace of money. Um, and in many cases, what happens with Bitcoins or with any other cryptocurrencies is whenever you need to use them to actually access service or a good, that's where the anonymity is being lost. Uh, that's where either you connected to a crypto wallet, where you need to provide at least basic information about yourself, or it is connected with your phone number for security reasons or IP address. So that in many cases, law enforcement agencies and actually security companies are looking for that mistake. Again, a human error within the criminal networks to start identifying an actual physical persona behind the Bitcoin addresses. Right, so while they're trading the, the Bitcoins and leaving it as a Bitcoin, that's difficult to trace, but as soon as they try to kind of turn it into a real world asset, that's when they're open to, people can see what they're up to if people are looking. Let's let's talk about these recent attacks. This was astonishing, wasn't it? The US oil pipeline. Uh, could one of you remind us what happened there? So it was, again, a ransomware attack, but actually... Um a little bit more sophisticated just, than just uh, locking the network. Um, the cyber criminals actually stole around 100 gigabytes of data from the colonial pipeline networks. Um, good news there was that only IT infrastructure was accessed. And now we know that it was the billing system that uh, you know was kept at ransom. So basically what happened is colonial pipeline could not invoice and record any and trace how much oil and gas they are providing to their customers. 
Um, hence, the operations had to be stopped, but they also took precautionary measures to stop any operations so that the ransom and the malware doesn't jump from IT to OT, operational infrastructure. So the actual pipelines, the actual critical infrastructure besides just the IT network. Definitely, it seems like a society has been kept as hostage for, you know, a couple of days and we saw gas stations running out of oil and, and, and people, you know, not knowing how they're going to go to work next day because they do not have any more access to, to oil. So that was definitely an extremely difficult decision to be made by leadership of Colonial Pipeline of what to do and what are the steps to take to respond to this incident. And what did they do? As of yesterday, we know that they have um, paid ransom um, and actually, you know, as, as the CEO has expressed, they did it because of, you know, the danger and public safety measures to society at large. Um, it was not anymore an issue for one corporation, one organization, but it became actually a public safety issue, which our cyber leadership community has expressed that concern uh, when we gathered them last March. Um, this March, actually, and they said that, you know, 80% of these leaders said that ransomware is becoming a, a critical danger to public safety. Exactly. I mean, no one had heard of Colonial Pipeline. I mean, I, I saw that interview with the chief executive of the company. He said they used to enjoy the anonymity, but now everyone in the world's heard of it. In fact, it delivers at least half of the oil and oil products to the east coast of the United States of America, the world's biggest economy. An employee found a ransom note from the hackers on a control room computer. And within about half an hour, the chief executive was aware. And before the day was out, they paid the 4.4 million dollars. This idea of public safety is quite scary because the general public might not like the idea of people extorting companies, but there comes a point when, if it's hitting critical infrastructure, this is very scary indeed. There was an, an incident in Ireland recently that hit the public health service. Could you tell us anything about what happened there? Yes, we've seen also the attack on, on Ireland, and which is not the first uh, that we see against health institutions that are considered uh, relatively weak victims for, for criminals, but probably the, with a higher scale, the attack against the health services in, in Ireland. Uh, that as much as we know, we've not decided not to pay uh, for at this point, but quite suffering quite a massive uh, disruption to their ability to walk. They are trying to walk what they are doing, and this is usually the case in this type of, of issues that they are trying to continue to walk without their IT systems. Um, but it's still, of course, it has a massive impact on their ability to provide uh, services uh, in Ireland. So they are still working on that. Uh, but it just uh, express how the danger to public safety and, and health uh, that we've seen in, in ransomware incidents. And Ireland is not the only victim, actually. And two days ago, New Zealand also fell a victim to healthcare services being kept at ransom. And both actually, uh, both cyber agencies or cyber officials of both countries have expressed that they will not pay um, the attackers and cyber criminals, and they will not be entertaining the, um, you know, the this rise of ransomware attacks. And, and uh, philosophy behind it, of thesis behind it, is the less 
organizations and the less executives decide to pay, the less ransomware attacks will happen. Basically, it's going to dry out. Except when it comes to taking the decision, when actually your operations are being halted and you have surgeries ongoing and you cannot access the blood types um, or x-rays or, you know, M scans and et cetera, et cetera, of your, of your patients, that, that decision um, suddenly becomes life and death situation. So that's why the decision makers and executives really have to be prepared, briefed, and actually exercise um, this, you know, attack scenario and what they will be doing. Maybe this is also a place to emphasize when, with the position that we are coming from at the World Economic Forum, because one of the issues that came up, Algreda mentioned before the discussion we had with the cybersecurity uh, leadership community, that in ransomware incidents, corporate leadership, CEOs has a critical role in, in managing the situation and the decision making uh, related to, to handling the situation. Uh, for, for example, whether you are going to pay or not to pay. And if you need to make those decisions with a gun pointed to your head, of course, your decision will not be optimal. And, and this is where we need to work with uh, leaders, private sector leaders, to ensure that they are ready, the organization is ready to, to handle ransomware incidents and that they are ready to make the best decisions. Uh, and, and paying criminals, of course, when you're all, uh, your operation is at risk, it seems like the reasonable option. But if you think about this, paying criminal is really not something that we usually uh, promote or we usually want to see uh, as a preferred uh, course of action. Uh, so being ready to make those decisions, understanding the implication of paying of, or not paying, being ready not to pay um, is a big part of, of the preparation uh, organization need to have. So on this issue of to pay or not to pay, we think of blackmail as in a movie you'll pay them a bit. They'll be back the next week to ask for more money because they've got the pictures of you doing whatever. Isn't it similar here? I mean, what's to stop one of these um, blackmail gangs, these ransomware gangs, attacking Colonial Pipeline again in a month's time or a year's time? Presumably they've said, if you give us the money, we won't do that. But I mean, would you trust them? Why would a company think they won't be back very soon? And it actually happens. It happens uh, quite frequently that the attackers come back and attack the same infrastructure or look for the same vulnerabilities uh, within their victims that they had already received a payment. One, because you know they have money. In many cases, actually, the ransomware criminal groups are becoming quite educated. And if I may, they have their organizational structure. You can actually even see the timeline when they work. It's, you know, depending on which geography they are. In many cases, it's from nine to five. Over Christmas, they actually take breaks. Um, you know, over bigger holidays in certain geographies, they take breaks and actually enjoy time with their families and uh, with their friends. Uh, it's becoming an actual organizational entity. So... Of course, they are going to where they know the doors are a little bit open and they can try to sneak in again. In many cases, attacks are actually automated. 
they just let attacks scan, you know, thousands, if not millions of networks and look for certain vulnerabilities that it could potentially access and then hold um, organization at ransom. So it's becoming an actual mature enterprise that law enforcement and, um, and actual private organizations are now considering how in collaboration they could be tackling because nobody wants this to continue growing. So who are these fun-loving criminals then who are taking Christmas breaks? And um, what do we know about them? I mean, this one is called Darkside, right? Everyone's blaming this group called Darkside for the pipeline attack in the US. What do we know about them? Who are they? Where are they? Everything what we know about them is what they leave traces on dark web on forums about themselves. Uh, they've been recruiting quite heavily in the last year and a half um, since their establishment, if you may. We know that since the colonial pipeline attack, they have announced that they are actually stopping their operations. But in many cases, I don't think there's not a lot to rejoice. Uh, they may, might pop up as completely different name group, but actually collaborating exactly the same, you know, physical entities and the same personas that were behind Darkseid. The challenge is couplefolds. If you take example United States, only 0.05% of cyber criminal activities actually get investigated and there's attribution and actually end up with cyber criminal uh, paying whatever price it is prison, you know, civil measures or anything else. There are many challenges on different jurisdictions. In many cases, cyber criminals do not sit in the same jurisdiction as the victims. So law enforcement have actually their hands quite tight. There is a problem of attribution, and then there is a problem of extradition. If actually even you attribute who is the cyber criminal, then you need to have collaboration among different government entities to actually be able to prosecute the criminal um, in mind. And governments that are often hostile to each other as well. Definitely. There are many challenges in the international collaboration uh, in, in, in dealing with those uh, criminals. But one of the aspects that there is also, um, we can be a bit optimistic around is that maybe in different from other type of crimes, private sector actually has much to contribute and support efforts against those criminals. Uh, it's usually private companies that are the first responders and you know, they have the capability to investigate, um, and, and, and you know, they have the intelligence on those criminal groups. So one of the things that the other thing that we are trying to do with in the World Economic Forum is through the partnership against cybercrime, bring private sector leaders together with law enforcement uh, to explore ways and promote ways for public for private companies to work side by side um, with law enforcement to investigate those criminals group and and to bring uh, disruptive efforts against them because. As long as we don't raise risk and cost for criminal activities, they will just continue to grow. They have a lot to gain uh, and we really need to work together against the sources of those threats um, to make sure that they also have uh, what to lose. And in many cases, it's actually uh, quite convenient for cyber criminals um, to attack. And they study A, the finances of the company, but B, they also look into their insurance policies. And there are multiple insur cyber insurance policies where ransomware is covered. 
So then suddenly it becomes a non-decision to executives to pay or not to pay when they know that it's part of their insurance policy. Now, more and more insurance policies are actually announcing that they are taking out ransomware payments from their cyber insurance policies. And I think that will be also quite a game changer um, you know, in the near future, and as more insurance companies implement this, in decision-making process to pay or not to pay. Right. I think for many people, that'll be really surprising that that even existed, that you could cover um, by insuring a risk, a, a criminal attack like that, um, which exactly means, of course, you're going to pay because actually it's the insurance company that's going to pay. You've already paid your premium for it. Yeah, a super interesting case. Just from, from last week, we had AXA insurance uh, that were attacked by ransomware immediately after announcing that they will stop covering ransomware payment uh, in France, which I think emphasize uh, you know, the wild west nature of this crime that when someone is trying to do the right thing, the good thing, they will be targeted. And also the need to work together through collaboration and community efforts uh, um, to make sure that we are implementing the right approach uh, to deal with that threat. So what is the forum doing about cybercrime and about particularly ransomware? The first one is in promoting public-private collaboration that we are doing through the Partnership Against Cybercrime, trying to promote collaborative efforts of private companies and law enforcement to disrupt criminal in particular ransomware activities. And then the second one, looking at uh, global leaders to make sure that they are ready to handle this uh, ransomware incident and to make the right decisions that will be best both for the organization, but also from a social perspective to ensure that we are reducing this threat at the long term. Tal Goldstein and before him, Algirda Pipikaite, both of the World Economic Forum's Center for Cybersecurity. You can find more about what they do on the article that accompanies this episode. Just visit wef.ch slash podcasts. We'll be back after this break with more on ransomware and an interview with US Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. Rich Lesser, the CEO of Boston Consulting Group, knows that big challenges like the climate won't be tackled without collaboration at the highest levels. He also knows that teams at companies around the world must do their part to scale big change. So the role that companies can play is much more sometimes than they realize. He talked to Meet the Leader about teaming and the signals leaders send that keep teams thinking about the big picture while also pushing new boundaries. I've been fortunate that people who felt comfortable enough to say, Rich, we could do something here, we could do more. He also shared how he's changed as a leader in his 33 years at the firm, the advice he'd give a younger self, and the only book he's given to every managing director and partner. I'm your host, Linda Lucina, and there's all that and more on the latest episode of Meet the Leader. I'm delighted to say we're joined by the Secretary of Homeland Security of the United States, Alejandro Mayorkas. Hello, Secretary Mayorkas, how are you? Doing very well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us, and you've joined us at, at a moment when ransomware is really in the news. The colonial pipeline shutdown highlighted to many people who possibly weren't aware of this as an issue before, what a big problem it is. Could you lay out how big a threat ransomware is? So we consider uh, ransomware uh, to be one of the gravest threats in the cybersecurity domain. This year, there has been more than $350 million in losses attributable to ransomware, which is a more than 300% 
increase over the past year. This is a threat that is not uh, imminent, but as the colonial pipeline uh, attack indicates, it's on us and Regrettably, it has been on us for some time now. Is there a risk of we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg? Because I'm guessing companies that are hit by criminals demanding ransom very often aren't going to run around admitting it. Is it possibly a, a, an even bigger problem than we're aware of? I think the threat of ransomware is both uh, evident in the public eye and also um, below the radar, uh, if you will, because as you correctly note, many companies that are victimized by ransomware, both small and medium and large, of course, uh, do not report uh, the attack or the disposition of the attack, whether they remedy it or pay the ransom and move on. Who are the main targets of ransomware? Anyone and anybody. No company, for example, should think itself too small to be subject to ransomware. In fact, a, a small company that perhaps without adequate resources, um, a ransomware attack could be of ex existential um, uh, dimension. Uh, so I don't think uh, anyone is safe from it. And uh, regrettably, the evidence uh, proves that. I, I might say this if I can take the opportunity because this is specific, not uh, just the ransomware, but it really addresses the cybersecurity uh, challenge writ large, if I may. Act securely, build your security, and do not think yourself invulnerable. Whether at, in your business, at home, as long as you've got a device, um, you have an obligation to secure it, uh, to protect yourself and protect others. It's really um, uh, elementary in, in how critical it is. I wonder if there's a range of things that governments or companies can do. Are, are, is there easy, low-hanging fruit? And, and what are the things that are really going to be very difficult to do? I would focus in the first instance on prevention, which is enhancing one's cyber hygiene, one's cyber hygiene at home and in the workplace. And with respect to the workplace, the actions of each individual employee, of course, on the one hand, but organizationally or institutionally raising the bar of cyber hygiene. And within the Department of Homeland Security, uh, specifically at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, as it is commonly known by its acronym, we have resources that everyone can access to understand how they can raise their cyber hygiene. And so it's building the appropriate defenses in the arena of prevention. And then I think if one should suffer a, um, a ransomware attack, I think the federal government brings tremendous resources and capabilities to bear in assisting uh, the victim in navigating through the attack and rehabilitating its systems and expelling the attacker. I wonder about international cooperation. What is there to be gained by cooperating with other governments on this? There is not a bilateral a relationship uh, that uh, I have engaged in, nor a multilateral engagement in which I have been involved 
that has not addressed the cybersecurity challenge because it is not a domestic or a localized threat. It is one that frankly spans the globe. And what, what is unique about the cybersecurity challenge generally is that it knows no boundaries. And so the perpetrator on the one hand and the victim on the other could be anywhere in the world and in, in quite distant locations from one another. Is there a message you'd have to the private sector? Is there work that needs to be done with the private sector on that? Number one, we recognize that the decision with respect to how to respond to a ransomware attack is a very difficult one. That companies, for example, are in a quite a significant predicament given the potential paralysis uh, of their systems and operations um, when confronting a ransomware attack, as well as uh, the negative consequence of frankly paying a ransomware, e further equipping the attacker uh, and proving the success of such an attack. And so while our recommendation is to not pay the ransom, we understand the difficulty of that decision. We believe that not only must one take the preventive and responsive measures uh, that I already have comment commented upon, but it is vitally important in the cybersecurity realm specifically to share information, to not only share information with one's private sector partners, but also to share information with us in the government, just as we share information with the private sector, because that information sharing educates everyone. We raise the bar across the landscape of our knowledge, and we're therefore better equipped and enabled to build the defenses and take the defensive actions and posture that protect us all. It's really about a cybersecurity ecosystem, if you will, and strengthening it all around. This thing is spiraling and getting bigger. Do you see a point when that kind of that curve will start going down? And is it something that can ever be eradicated? Or is this something that businesses have to take as a cost of doing their business? The problem will grow if our capabilities do not grow commensurate with the threat. We must build our preventive capabilities, as well as our response, strengthen our response architecture, and that requires a community of action. Just as the threat has grown, of course, so have our uh, resources and capabilities. Uh, frankly, thanks to the support that we in the Department of Homeland Security have received from Congress. Um, but this is really, it's an imperative. Uh, it's not, it's really not elective. I think if we don't do anything, if people continue to think themselves invulnerable, too small to be attacked, uh, for some reason um, not worthy of attack, I think that's errant. And I think that actually creates um, uh, a greater opportunity for the, for the threat to grow. We've, we've, we've got to not only work um, in, in parallel, if you will, to the dynamic threat, I think we have to overwhelm it. Could you explain to 
the layperson, why isn't it possible? You've got if you have a company paying a ransom, can it not be traced where that money goes? In the good old days on the crime films, you know, they'd colour the bills with a secret ink. Now I know a lot of this ransom is being paid in uh, cryptocurrencies, but cryptocurrencies are famously traceable, we're led to believe. Why is it so difficult to actually trace where that money goes? First of all, um, uh, some of the cryptocurrency uh, mechanism and some of the routes of payment are not as easily uh, identified and and traced, I should say, um, as more traditional means of payment. But we're um, we're dealing with uh, the cyber realm. We're dealing uh, with different environments uh, and we're dealing in an international forum where the perpetrator may be in the basement uh, of, an, uh, of a parent's home across the world, uh, accessing uh, the internet and not leaving the footprints that we might so easily recognize on our detective show uh, uh, on commercial television. What will need to happen for you to say, job done or real progress made? Will there be a point where you'll be able to say, we're really on the case and this is really working now? What what kind of metrics are you using for that? Yeah, I I don't think uh, we're going to be in a position of saying job done. Uh, because this is so dynamic. Uh, Ransomware has grown, uh, frankly, exponentially, uh, but in the cyber realm, we're realistic about the fact that um, it's an evolving threat environment. But job done? No. Job well um, along, uh, perhaps well done in terms of progress, is something that we can speak of and will speak of because of our investments and our dedication of time and talent. Um, when we see, when we see those barriers, those defenses built um, more widely across the public-private architecture, I think we will um, uh, we will feel confident in the progress that we are making in our uh, response uh, to that threat environment. When we start seeing that weakest link strengthen, because we say in the cybersecurity realm, one is only as strong as one's weakest link because of the interconnectedness of everything in the technological environment. When we see that weakest link strengthen, we um, we will take comfort in the traction that we have achieved and upon which we will build. Governments all deny any participation in this. Very often the US government or in the West, they point the finger at Russia and other parts of Eastern Europe, which those governments then deny. While measures are being taken to combat cybercrime, do you have any hope that kind of the diplomatic route and talking, because it's in so many people's interests to combat cybercrime across in any country, is there anything to be gained by those diplomatic routes saying we all need to be combating this in a way together or in collaboration? Oh, I, th- I think uh, absolutely. Uh, um, let, me, let me say this. Um, no one is invulnerable. 
and therefore no um, nation state is invulnerable. Diplomacy is one avenue, and I referenced that in, in my bilateral and multilateral uh, engagements. But we also uh, recognize uh, that sometimes uh, particular nation states um, act in, uh, in a way adverse to our, our interests or don't um, take the protective measures uh, that is incumbent upon them to take with respect to addressing cyber criminals within uh, their territories. We have the power of attribution. We have the power of sanctions and other uh, measures. So there are a number of avenues uh, that we pursue in addition to the diplomatic one. Secretary Mayorkas, thanks so much for joining us on Radio Davos. Thank you for having me. Take care. To find out more about ransomware, please visit wef.ch slash podcasts and look for the article that accompanies this episode. That's also the place to get our back catalogue. You can also subscribe to Radio Davos and our sister programme, Meet the Leader, wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review and join the conversation on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club. Look for that on Facebook. This episode of Radio Davos was written and presented by me, Robin Pomeroy, with help from Alex Court and Gareth Nolan. We'll be back next week, but for now, thanks to you for listening, and goodbye.